Um, it, was, it was good. It was, I've seen people I haven't seen literally since the beginning of this. Uh, so that was very encouraging. Uh, it's, it's part of our family, and they haven't been here, and I've been missing them. And I know that you have too. And I, in fact, I was thinking about this. In fact, the first service was fuller than I had thought it was going to be. Um, so don't go to first service. Because <laughs> we're trying to keep it open. We're trying to keep it, uh, you know, spread out in first service. There was a family in first service that were looking around. They had four kids. They're going, is, is there any kids here? Do you guys have any younger people? I'm like, you came to the wrong service. So, but um, we are not going to be having all the children's ministries during the first service. We're, 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 we're limiting that for a while, not because we don't have the ability. Um, Pastor Krista is actually uh, ready to do that, but, but uh, we're going to be limiting that for a little while and, and uh, trying to keep that first service a little bit open. But I was thinking about this this week. I went, went golfing this week, and, and this guy joined in. It was, it was me and another guy were golfing, and he, he joined in. That's what they do. If you don't know golf, you just do that. So um, he joined in with us, and we were walking along, and and uh, I got to talking to the guy, and I'm, I'm always trying to look for an opportunity to try to witness to somebody. So I keep going around to that subject, and, and finally he says, well, I grew up as a Christian. <clears throat> he said, but I'm not really serving God now. I, I don't really go to church now. So I, I, I can't just leave it at that. I'm asking questions. And, and, uh, and, then, and then he says, well, I, I grew up Assemblies of God. He's probably about 10 years older than I am. He said, I grew up Assemblies of God. He said, but I don't... At first, I wanted to say... What's that? I don't know. I've never heard. <laughs> For you that don't know, that's what we are. So, <clears throat> um, so I, I, I kept talking to him about it, and he said, but I don't really go to church. I don't, I don't do that, really. That's I, I, not my thing. Um, so I began to ask him questions about this. It, it was concerning me. It was really, I mean, I hear that. I've heard that many, many times over the years, but for whatever reason, this one really... It just got me, and I think maybe because of everything that's going on in society right now, everything that's happening, it just really caught me a lot stronger than it normally does, and, and I couldn't help it. I know, I know he felt like I was harassing him. I know, in fact, I apologized to him a couple times. I said, I know, I know you think I'm just, you know, beating this drum to death, but I need to say something else, you know, I, and I told him, I said, don't you, don't you miss, and I was thinking about this this morning during first service, and during this don't you, don't you miss being around Christians that want to serve God? I'm not saying just go to church, just to a building called church. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't you, don't you miss worshiping God in the group with everybody else that's just worshiping and singing and, and, uh, and, and the, the, the doing all the things maybe that you can't, maybe some of the instruments or whatever, but we're all part of this together. When you put it all together, man, it's powerful. And we pray with each other. And then we, then we listen to God's word together. And then um, as Jan gave us a message from God that God speaks to us, that, that, to me that's just God saying, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this. I'm liking this. I'm, I'm enjoying connecting with you guys and worshiping. And I kept telling them, I said, don't you miss it? And there's something, and something in your spirit that's just empty because of that. And maybe, I don't know, it just was very strong for for. Seven or eight holes, that's all I did, is walk along, don't you care about Jesus? Don't you, you know that? And he's just trying to hit a golf ball. Or that. Sorry. He, I did beat him, though. So, <laughs> No, I, I don't actually think I did. I don't know what I did. but um, I, I did want to mention this. So I've been talking about the rapture and all this stuff for, for quite a few weeks. 
And, uh, and I do want to make sure, just because this has come up not just once, but about 10 different times this week, is that you don't need to be nervous or scared or afraid that the rapture is about to happen. Okay? Whether, it's, whether it's happening now or 10 years from now or 50 years from now, you don't have to be nervous about that. You don't have to be scared about it. That's something that should be encouraging. That's, <clears throat> that's why in the scriptures in uh, 1 Corinthians, read it says that we encourage each other with these words. That, that should be the mentality. Now, I did want to add one thing to it because it's pretty cool that um, um, I think uh, Jason sent this to me uh, last week, and this is, this is huge. For the first time in over 1,900 years, it's actually 1,950, and that has importance that it, maybe I'll explain sometime that the 1,950 years is very important. But um, in, in the first time in 1,950 years, the, there's been an agreement made and somebody asked me Wednesday night when I was talking about this, who's the agreement made with? I, I don't know. It's the, the, there's so many groups in Israel that are in charge of things, but the strongest are the, the Christians slash Catholics. They're, they're the ones. And then the Muslims and then the Jews. They have had an agreement between these three groups that they're allowed to blow the shofar. The shofar is the horn. That I was talking about during the Feast of Trumpets. They're allowed to blow the shofar on the, the Temple Mount where the dome of the rock is, they're allowed to blow that for the first time in, in 1950 years, this Rosh Hashanah in two and a half weeks. That's got to give you goosebumps a little bit, okay? Now, here's the other side of it, is because Passover falls when it does, when they get up at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah and blow this, um, this trumpet, and we talked a little bit Wednesday night, the fact that it could be, they're, they're processing that it could be a goat's horn instead of ram's horn. A goat's horn can only be blown in the temple. If they blow a goat's horn, basically it's the Jewish people saying, this is still our temple. This is still the place. So, um, But when they blow that, because of the way Passover and Rosh Hashanah fall, no other uh, Jewish synagogues will be blowing the trumpet at the same time. They will be doing it the following morning. So not only is it 1950 years since it's been blown, it's going to be blown on the Temple Mount, it's also the only shofar that's going to be blown worldwide uh, in any Jewish setting on Rosh Hashanah. That's got to make you at least pause. It's got to make you at least go, hmm, Jesus. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about this morning. Um, talking about Jesus. I really am. Um, I, I want to I look at salvation. What is salvation? Well, all the stuff I've been talking about, all the things we've been going over and all this stuff, I want to make sure. I, I, I've said this two or three times over the last uh, few weeks. I, I talked to a guy a few weeks ago, and I was, I was, I'd helped him. Uh, he was on the side of the road, and I stopped and helped him fix his car. And, and I was just talking to him about Jesus and some of the stuff. And he, uh, over a long conversation, because I took him somewhere and, and brought him back to his car, but over the course of the conversation, over probably an hour plus, he asked me, toward the end of it, he asked me, what do I do when my, when my foundation has changed? What do I do with, and he's talking about life, because I'm not talking about, I want to explain all the stuff we went over, but he said, what do I do when my foundation has changed? And that, that, um, that got me, you know, I, I, that's why I've mentioned it a few times, it really got my spirit about this, that, that I want to make sure this morning that our foundation is right. There, there's a lot of things I've been preaching and talking about and even all the churches and Revelation and stuff I went over before, um, the, the, the guys, our foundation is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. That's it. 
Without that, there's no reason for us to be here. I read a statistic this last week that, that um, 76% of all Christian church, not, not other um, religions or any of that kind of thing, but, but Protestant Christian pastors, over 76% of them do not believe that the Bible is true. That, I, don't underst- I don't understand that. If the Bible's not true, what are you doing? What, what is your... What is, don't, guys, I'm talking now. Be quiet. <laughs> I'm hearing like 30 voices. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you don't believe that the Bible's true, why would you be a pastor? Why would you be in ministry? Why? I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense. That's the, that's the manual. That's the only thing. And this is the thing is, for me is, what is our foundation? So this is, this is a, a simple salvation message. And this is part of the reason that I'm speaking this. I, um, I've been watching this build for a long time. And I, and I said last week or the week before, I think, that I haven't come out really strong on this. But I, I, I really think I have to say some of this stuff this morning, okay? Um, I was watching, off and on I've been watching. Well, first I watched uh, the DNC a few couple weeks ago. And then I watched the RNC, the Republican, the Democrat National Convention. And the things that I'm about to say... These are not political statements. If you think they are, you've been caught and trapped in the system. Okay, listen carefully what I'm about to say. If you think what I'm about to say is political, you've missed everything. You've missed the whole point. I listened to the DNC, I watched, I listened to the RNC, and here's the thing that got me about this. I, I've, I've been watching both parties um, try to find their identity over the last uh, 20 years or so. And I think the Democrat Party found their uh, identity about 15 years ago strong. And I think the Republican Party has still been looking for it. And part of the reason that I say this is because the people that I've been watching being put up for presidential election over the last uh, 20 years, um, at the end of the day, they're trying to figure out how strong they, do they really believe abortion's wrong or do they not? How strong do they believe that or do they not? We're looking for our identity. Now, when, I, uh, when we came to the election, Donald Trump was not my guy. Okay? He just wasn't. I wanted a strong, hardcore conservative that was a Christian that would do the things that God had called them to the office for over what people thought was important. It's always been my heart. I did not think that was going to be Donald Trump. I didn't. But since he's been in office, he's done more for Christianity, for the church, and for Israel than any president in history. To say, regardless of all that economic stuff and all that, that that's, that's politics, that's all that kind of stuff, that's economics, and, and those, those are important, but that's not what I'm talking about. When I watch the RNC, and if you did not pay attention, you need to go back online and, and look at some of this stuff. I was caught off guard of how much they talked about Jesus, how much they talked about morality, how much they talked about bringing not liberty of country, which is important, they talked about that too, but bring, bringing freedom back to the individual soul and putting Jesus at the helm of our country again. I was, I was surprised by that. I was not expecting that to happen. And taking stands against the, the evils of something like abortion and saying, no, that's not who we are. Guys, this is, this is the statement. And I know this is 
This is going to sound political, but I, I, I believe that it is spiritual. Satan declared war on America a long time ago. And he has found a group and an identity that he can get his stuff done through. And it didn't used to be. 50 years ago, it didn't used to be. But it is now the Democrat Party. Now, this is important. You say, well, you can't. I have a, I have a hard time believing that you can believe in abortion. You can believe in all kinds of, of gender issues and sexual perversions and everything else and still call yourself a Christian. You cannot murder babies by the hundreds and hundreds of thousands and still say, I love the God that created those children. You cannot do that. You cannot push the agenda that is destroying lives where I just choose whatever gender I want. You can't do that. You're, you're killing people. You're killing people with the evil that Satan is using and he's using people to do it. You, you cannot call yourself a Christian and do that stuff. Guys, here's the sad part. This is what clicked in my head during the RNC. I hear a lot of talk nowadays about a civil war and all this stuff that is, that is coming to the horizon. And, and this, is not, this is not casual talk anymore. Okay? That makes me nervous, makes me a little worried because everybody loses. Right? But here's the reality. Satan declared war on God in the kingdom of God and the church a long time ago and then conservatives are just now figuring it out. That's the problem. Is we're letting this stuff go by. Satan is taking our babies in the womb. Satan is taking our children and perverting and twisting whatever and he's pulling them to the depths of his hell and we're watching it. Guys, this is this is scary. This is, this is frightening scary. That somewhere, somewhere we have to say, enough is enough. And I'm hearing constantly now, I, I didn't hear this for a long, long time, but, but since COVID specifically, but it started about a year ago, people are saying, I'm tired of my church not standing up for what God has said. And guys, this is where we have to take a stand. We cannot play around with this. You say, well, that's, you're, just, you're just talking political. No, I'm talking souls. I'm talking morality. I'm talking eternal life and eternal death. I'm not, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking the souls of humans that we're playing games in society because we're, we're more scared of what society says than we love that person. We've got to love their soul more than we care about the other stuff. Stop letting people tell you it's politics. It's not. That taxes are politics. That babies are not. And you can vote all day long, but you cannot vote that a baby can be murdered and it be right. It will never be right, no matter who says it is, what government says it is, what political entity says it is. It is still murder, and you can't change that because that's God's law. That is not human in law. You can make whatever you want legal humanly. But that doesn't mean God says, oh, I guess I, I got it, that one wrong. This is still God's law. So here's the basic foundation of all of this is... What is salvation? How do we know we're saved? How do we know what our foundation is? What is this? So, 
So the questions I'm going to ask answer this morning. First, what is salvation? What are, what are we being saved from? What are we saying to, saved to? What is salvation? Why, is it, why does it matter? Why is it important? Why do we go to church? What's the point of this? Because that without salvation, guys, there's no reason to be here. That you, could, you could go to the bowling alley. You could go to the moose lodge. I don't, I don't even know, is there such a thing anymore? I know there used to be. Do they have moose at the lodge? I don't know how it works. I would rather go to the bacon lodge. Who's with me? Let's go. Okay. So, Genesis chapter 1. Somebody asked me a couple years ago, why do, you, why do you go to Genesis 1, 2, 3 so much? Everything in the Bible can be found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Why the Bible exists. Marriage. Marriage can be found. Some of the best stuff in marriage starts right in, in Genesis 3. All, a lot of stuff is there. Why do we do salvation? Why, do we do, uh, why did sacrifices start that led to salvation? It's all in Genesis. Those first three chapters. Everything is. Um, I, just a couple weeks ago, somebody said to me, why do we need the Old Testament so much? They weren't in our church. They said, why do we need the Old Testament so much? Why? That makes no sense to me. There's no New Testament without the Old Testament. Why did Jesus die on the cross? The only way you know that is look in the Old Testament. You say, well, he died for my sins. Where'd you get that from? The Old Testament. What sins? Where did it start? All of that's Old Testament. You don't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. Don't, don't let, there's a replacement theology mentality that always invades the church. That it's all about now, it's the New Testament, we replace the church. That's all lies. It's just Satan trying to mess with you. You've got to go back to the Old Testament and understand that stuff to know why Jesus did what he did. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. I, I always focus on the, you know, the God made us in his image. Here's something that just kind of popped in my head. Maybe, maybe you, you processed it before. I, it just was new to me. Um, <clears throat> thinking about being created in God's image. Now, Satan hates that, right? We know that. Yeah, Satan hates the fact that, that, that you basically look physically and you emotionally, uh, mentally, spiritually are created like God. Okay? You're not God. That's a difference. He's transcendent. You're, you are limitedly transcendent. Only at his will are you transcendent. He is transcendent, Right? He is eternal. You, at his will, you're eternal, but you're not God, okay? So Satan hates the fact that we look and act, and, and uh, for the most part, our emotions, not act, but our emotions, um, attitude, mentalities, those things were created in the image of God, and then Satan convinces us to sin, that kind of thing. But, so Satan first, he hates that. We're a chip off the old block. But here's something that kind of got in my head this week. I was watching um, some of the uh, um, video stuff of, riots and just all the stupid stuff, right? And, um, and it dawned on me, Satan can't create, right? We know that, right? Satan is not a creator. He's a perverter, twister, liar. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything original, even verbiage. He's not original. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. When he says something, it's a lie. It's, he didn't create it. He didn't originate it. God creates human beings. He did not create human beings. He cannot originate human beings, but he can take them and pull them to where they're more in his image than they are in God's image. Spiritually, we start thinking and acting and being more like Satan. And he loves that. He loves the fact that when God looks on humanity, they look more like Satan than they do Jesus. And Satan loves that. Because he's not a creator. He has to pervert what he is already created. 
Guys, when God creates you in his image, it's because he has a plan for you. It's because he has a specific purpose and direction. And you are designed by God like you are. What we have to do is, is, is take responsibility for that and chase after him to be more like him, to be more like Jesus, the example that physically came to this earth so we could watch and look at, rather than the example that Satan gives us. That's how, that's how we push back. That's how we kick back on this. So God creates us in his image. They will reign over the fish in the, in the sea, birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, small animals that scurry along the ground. If you notice, we haven't heard much about um, environmentalism lately. It'll come back. Don't get me wrong. It'll come back because that's the church. That's the altar that liberalism worships at. Why? Because if, if we came from animals and we can control the planet, then we're kind of God. Maybe not totally, but kind of like God. So that's why we protect little frogs over babies. Because human beings, uh, we're just part of the animal kingdom. This is why I pick on this so much. You're not part of the animal kingdom. You were not created like the animals. You created different. God created the animals, then he created man, and he created him in his own image. It doesn't say that about the animals. And he breathed his life spirit into them. It doesn't say that about the animals. You're not just the top of the animal kingdom. Stop believing that stuff. You are human beings. You're different. You've been given dominion over the created things called animals. Part of the thing that God gives us animals for is to eat. So I mean, like, what, what are we having for lunch? Now, if you say, well, I'm a vegetarian, I don't want to eat animals. Okay, that's fine. That's not bad. But it's not bad that humans eat animals because God created that. That's why he made them taste so good. Not, some of me didn't. Some of them. But we're created to be in dominion over. Take care of, be nice to, but, but, but we have dominion. I know some of you that you paint your little dogs nails and you put bows on them and you think they understand the words you're saying coming out of your mouth. But they're not people. They're not people. We've been given dominion over them. Okay, now why is this important? Again, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God established right then gender identity. And it doesn't matter how many definitions you come up with. And, and here's the thing. 99% of the people out there, they know you can call somebody a boy or a girl. You can call them whatever, but you know. And we all know. That's the goofy thing. You want to see the definition of the end times? They believe a lie. Guys, when we voluntarily go around verbalizing and believing and acting like we don't believe it, but we act like this is truth, we're hurting those people. We're not helping them. We're hurting them. That's like, that's like giving drugs to a drug addict. You're not helping. You're hurting so God creates us in his image. We're supposed to live for him. We're supposed to serve him. Now let's go to Genesis 3, and this is the, the first part of this. What are, what's salvation? The first thing is we're saved from ourselves. And, and this, I think, is really important. We have to start here. And we always think about being saved from the other things. We, and I'm going to get to some of these. But interestingly, if you don't understand being saved from yourself first, you're always going to be trapped right here. You're always going to be your biggest enemy. It's not actually Satan. Because Satan can't make you do something. Satan cannot pluck you from God's hands. You have to choose to jump out of God's hand. 
Satan can't make you do it. Satan cannot make, you know, you, you hear people say the devil made me do it. I've heard this so much about from alcoholics. Well, Satan made me do it. So Satan took you, held you down, popped that whiskey top and stuck it in your face and made you drink that. Now, for a true alcoholic, it feels like that. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But guys, Satan can't make you do anything. We have to be saved from ourselves first. So what is, the, what is the first line of battle when it comes to that? According to 2 Corinthians 10, the first line of battle is our minds. You've got to make a decision about something. You've you got to make a decision that Jesus is Lord. You've got to make a decision that you're going to believe that God's above everything. You've got to make a decision that Jesus can forgive you. That doesn't, you see, God doesn't do that to you. You have to make a decision. Do you really believe? This is why I, I just can't. I can't go back. I can't get away from the reality. 76% of ministers don't believe the Bible's true. What, what hope does the church have? Guys, here's the reality. And I say this as a pastor, which is dangerous. You've got to serve Jesus no matter what your pastor's doing. You've got to serve Jesus regardless of whether I'm speaking truth here or not. And if I'm not speaking truth, go somewhere that it is being spoke. This is so important. I don't, I don't plan on, on going crazy, okay? But if I do, find a church that's speaking truth. And, 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 and the answer is not, well, I'm just not going to go to church at all. That's not the answer. Scripture says you've got to get together with other Christians. You've got to. You need me, I need you. We've got to. But you've got to be safe from yourself. Look at this in Genesis 3 verse 4. So God, we, you know the story. If not, I'll, I'll give some basics. God creates a garden. He puts trees in the garden, all kinds of fruits. He puts one tree in the middle of the garden, and he says, don't eat that fruit. And then um, we, we're going to jump into the story here where the serpent is speaking to Eve. And I want to posit something. I don't believe, and this is just, I th- just because people, I, I know human nature. I don't think this is the first time this serpent spoke to Eve. Satan is embodying the serpent. We understand that, right? I don't think this is the first time that this happened. I, it's just hard for me to believe it. I can't prove that. And I wouldn't stand too strong on it. But, but I just can't believe that Adam and Eve got up one day and they're just taking a gentle walk through the garden and they just happen to be near the tree where they're not supposed to eat the fruit. And then the serpent says, hey, Eve. And she says, well, hello, serpent. I've never talked to you before. How are you doing? You should eat this fruit. Okay. So here's what I have found over years. I've found it in my own life, and I've seen it in many people. The reason that that sin can be so tempting to us is because we walk right up to the line. We're we're interested. We're already being enticed in our mind and in our spirit. That's why we can be convinced or tricked or however we want to say it. Tricked is not true. But we, we can be convinced to sin because we walk up to the line. We're playing around with this stuff. And I know this in my own life. This happens constantly in my own life where I feel myself. Now, nowadays in my spiritual walk, as I'm feeling pulled toward that line is when I start to say, wait a second. I'm not going to do that. Years ago, I'd have to be standing on the line leaning way over saying, I probably shouldn't do that. It looks good. You understand what I'm saying? And, and sometimes I still get enticed today. I'll give you an example. This isn't sin thing. 
Don't, don't make this a sin thing. Um, so Lynn and I are on a diet. I don't know, if could you, could you guys tell? I've lost like three quarters of a pound. Can you tell? Pretty thin. So, um, so we've been on a diet. Linda's been doing way better than me. And uh, so I was out um, in the garage the other day. I was doing some stuff on my Jeep. Go figure. And, um, and I thought to myself, before I say this, I don't want to hear anything from you later. Are you, are you cool? Well, well, I'm about to confess, and I don't want her to hold it over my head. She does that. So I was standing out there, and I thought to myself, you know, we used to have a big bag of chocolates in the refrigerator. Linda's in the house. She doesn't know. So I went over the refrigerator, opened the door. The chocolates are all gone. I don't know where they are. Well, I know where they are. She threw them away. So I'm looking for the, and I see this watermelon there. I was like, we were going to have this watermelon the other day. And we forgot, we had an event, we forgot to take it out. So um, sitting in the refrigerator, so I brought the watermelon in. I said, hey, Linda, there's a whole watermelon in the refrigerator. Should we eat this? And she said, we're on a diet. Watermelon has lots of carbs in it. I'm like, are you sure? It's mostly water. So I told her, I said, well, I'm going to have some. Whatever. She gets that little chip on her shoulder. Right? And so... I, I cut a piece of the watermelon, and I ate the piece of watermelon, and, then, and she was fixing dinner. Then we sat down, and we had dinner. And then she does some stuff, and then she went upstairs, and she was up there for the rest of the evening. And then I came up later, and I, I told her I laid down in bed. I said, I am hurting so bad. And my stomach's like up to here, you know. <laughs> She's like, what did you do? I said, I eat more watermelon. <laughs> and then she finally beat it out of me. I ate the whole watermelon. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It was a good watermelon. <laughs> I was hurting so bad, though. And here's the thing. Did you know you will get up every 45 minutes and go to the bathroom after you eat a whole watermelon? Here's the thing. I found... See, I shouldn't have walked over to the refrigerator in the first place, right? Why did I walk over to the refrigerator? Chocolate! I don't even like chocolate. Guys, here's, here's the thing. I know that's a, a funny story, but Satan will get you to walk up to the line, walk up to the line, walk up to the line. See, here's the thing I think happened with Eve. I think she'd been walking up to this line mentally and emotionally for a long time. I don't, I don't have any proof of that. I don't. I'm just, I'm, literally, that's just me. Totally me and pulling that out of the air. But I just don't, human nature doesn't just naturally, specifically when you're doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing, human nature doesn't just naturally reach out for something it shouldn't have. We, we have to kind of be talked into it and, and wooed, and we do the, we woo ourselves. You cannot blame the woo on someone else. You are the woo. Right? We pull ourselves toward the line. And then when we step over the line, oh no, how did this happen? Because we know how it happened. We've been, we've been wanting that and enticed by it for a long time. And we got where we shouldn't, with the mindset we shouldn't, and then Satan says, you can do this. Look what he does. He says to Eve, you won't die. Because that's, that's what Eve said, right? Well, we're not supposed to eat that fruit. God said, we'll die. She said, you, he said, you won't die. Which is kind of true. See, Satan takes what's already there and he changes it. You won't die. They, they weren't going to die physically, but they were going to start dying physically. You know that? 
They used to live 900 years. How much do we live now? 70 to 80. We've been slowly dying since then. And God capped it for us because he's nice. He said, okay, I, I won't make you live shorter. We've been dying. But here's the thing. We've been spiritually dying too from the very day. Spiritually dying. He said, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And here's the key to the whole thing. The woman was convinced. And that's what it takes for you and I to be convinced. Is there anything right now that our society needs change than just being convinced? Buying the lie. Satan made it sound good. He made it sound good. So good that he said, okay, I'm convinced. It's the convinced that changed everything. Because you got to be convinced before you eat the fruit. It's in your head. It's in your mind. It's in your spirit. You've got to be convinced. And she was convinced. This, I, I do get this question every now and then. Well, can you sin without knowing that you're sin, sinning? I think at some level there's a potential that you can under certain circumstances. But, it, but most of the time, the Scripture tells us that we have a conscience and the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our conscience. And that we know sin, basically. We know what's right or wrong, basically. Human, humanity does. That's why, I, that's why I can't buy into the fact that people think murdering babies is okay. Because, and, and, and except for the fact that they can do that for so long that their souls are seared and they no longer feeling that conviction or that conscience telling them no. But your conscience won't let you murder a baby and not be okay and, and still be okay with it. Your conscience won't. The Holy Spirit won't give up on you. He's going to keep poking at that and say, that's not right. That's horrible. The first thing is we've got to be saved from ourselves. Your thought process, your attitude, what, why are you doing what you're doing? It's because you've made the decision. You've made the decision. Nobody else has made that for you. you, you and, it, you know, I, this idea of premeditated sin and non-premeditated sin, I'm not a big fan of that. In fact, I'm not a huge fan of premeditated, like, murdering somebody, premeditated murder and non-premeditated. I understand there is such a thing as that. I do get that. But I think it's very small in comparison to what society and, and courts and stuff say. The, the reason that you can murder somebody is because you've been thinking about it for a long time. You've been processing that. That, that anger and that hate is deep in your soul. It doesn't just happen. It builds, it builds, it builds. So the second thing that we need to be saved from is saved from judgment. And this is one that just doesn't get much... Um, media in the church nowadays, but, but this is true, and we've got to make sure we go here. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. This, this is mostly positive. Everything he's saying about these people is positive. And the reason I chose this particular scripture, there's a lot of scriptures about this. The reason I chose this one is because he's talking to them in a positive sense. He's, he's glad of what this church is doing. He's glad of this people. They're, they're serving God. He says, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. This is a solid statement. These are godly people. They're serving God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, 
They were looking forward to it then, just like we're supposed to be looking forward to it now. I've told five young men this last week, don't worry about the rapture. Jesus is going to come when he's coming. Don't worry about it. If the rapture happens, it's going to be good for you. I promise. If not, you still get to get married. Okay, some of you older people are like, oh, whatever. You remember. You guys remember, so you have to be older to know this. You guys remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988? Raise your hand if you remember that book. I remember that book very strongly. You know why? I was graduating high school in 1988. I did not want Jesus to come back in 1988. There's things in life I had not experienced, and I wanted to get married. Okay. He said, they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Now he just tags his sentence on the end, because this is part of the story, and it must always be part of the story. He is the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Guys, if we take that out of the story, a major part of this is missing. And we're seeing less and less where churches are talking about the reality of judgment, the reality of hell. I've been hearing for years and years that there is no hell. But then you ask them, is there heaven? Most people say, yes, there's heaven, but there's no hell. That kind of makes sense, right? Except, I mean, it doesn't make cognitive reality sense because it came from the same book. The same mouth spoke oftentimes about both heaven and hell in the same context. But I understand why people would want there to be no hell but only a heaven. I get that. But I've been hearing over the last year, year and a half, I've been hearing for the first time ever in my life where people are saying, I believe in a hell but no heaven. Now this is scary to me and it has to be connected directly to the reality that suicide rates are going off the charts right now in our country and specifically among younger people. Because the younger people are the ones who are believing there's a hell but no heaven. Because that's... that's Nihilism at the, at the hardest core. That, that, there's something very wrong in societal thinking when that's the norm. That, this is scary stuff. There is a coming judgment, but you don't have to be afraid of this. There is heaven, there is hell. You do not have to be afraid of hell. God did not create hell for you. He created hell for the devil and his angels. The way you get to hell is you follow them. So here's a simple answer. Don't follow them. Follow Jesus. You follow Jesus, hell's not an issue for you. You follow Jesus because Jesus is headed toward heaven and Satan is headed toward hell. So follow Jesus. There is the reality of judgment and we cannot get away from that. And, and the fact that... that a lot of times now we're taking that out of the dialogue. That's actually dangerous for our society. Because we think that there is no um, judgment. So therefore there's no accountability. Therefore it doesn't matter what you're doing or what you're not doing. Ultimately it doesn't matter. If you're just going to turn back into dirt, who cares? But there is a hell. And there is judgment. Galatians chapter 5. Now I've, I've talked about this. I've been talking about the uh, fruits of the Spirit some on Wednesday nights. And I would suggest two weeks ago, Wednesday, you go listen to that. If you never, if, I'm going to say, I'm going to just briefly say this. If you've never heard anything like this, you need to go listen to it. Because I know it is not 
It's not common teaching. I've, I've never heard it, but I do believe it strongly. I believe that the fruits of the Spirit grow out of each other. In other words, I don't believe you can have patience without starting at love. You have to have love, joy, peace, then patience. You can't start at patience. So if you're trying to work on patience, you, you, you're messing up. You're missing the boat. You can't just work on patience. You have to start at love, and you have to let that grow to joy, then peace, and then out of peace flows patience. Now, with that being said, that's Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. The, the list that I'm about to read is starting in what, this is what I call the, um, the fruits of Satan or the fruits of sin. Because why do I call it that? Because he says after he gets through this list, then he says, now the fruits of the Spirit, like he just explained the other fruits, now the fruits of the Spirit are this. So I believe these are the fruits of sin. It doesn't call them that, but that's what I believe they are. So when you follow the desire of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. When you follow you, when you let you make the rules, when you let you make the foundation, when God's not making the foundation, his word is not making the foundation, then this will be the result. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. And you know what will happen is you will begin to fight for these. You will fight other people that tell you these are wrong. You will fight for your right to have hostility. You thought I was going to say party, but that's the Beastie Boys, not us. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. So, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, here's the sentence that's, that's the, this is the key. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, there is judgment. That's part of what we're being saved from. Well, part of, part of, part of this, it's not, to me, it's not the focus. It used to be when I was younger and I wasn't serving God, this was the focus. I worried about hell, worried about hell all the time because I was headed there very quickly and I knew it. Now it's not, I don't get up every day worried about hell. I don't. And if you are, then there's, there's one of two things going on. Either Satan, either you're really serving Jesus well and Satan is deceiving you or you haven't really let Jesus be in charge of your life. You can have a confidence in your spirit that you belong to Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about um, hell or the rapture. And that You don't have to be. You can just serve Jesus. You can just make Jesus your everything. Go after him. Just chase after him. Okay? So, let me keep reading. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 5, this is the last part of this is that you are going to be saved from separation. I think this is actually the most important part. Saved from yourself is how you get there. Saved from judgment is what happens in the process. But I think this is the focus. This is the focus from the beginning. I talked about this this last Wednesday, and I'm talking about it again, um, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, about the fact that the Lord loves us. And why is that so important? Why does it even matter? The fact that he loves us, it's a relationship. God is, God is not pursuing a bunch of people to fill up heaven. That's not what his goal is. That's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to just get a bunch of people on his team. Think about this. He created us from the beginning. If he just wanted a bunch of people on his team, he could have just taken sin off the table and that wasn't an option. He could have a bunch of automatons that, that end up in heaven. The, the, the focus of this is he wants you. He wants your heart. I asked a group of teenagers this one time. I said, guys, you don't want 
some girl just to marry you because she's a robot and she was told she had to? Almost every guy in there said, how hot is she? It's like, what? <laughs> Come on. If she's really hot, I don't care. I, marry me, whatever. But see, God's not like that. None of us are hot enough. <laughs> You're like, what I learned today. <laughs> so here, here's a reality. God wants you to just love him. Man, he wants you to love him. And he wants a relationship with you. And he wants this close relationship. He wants this personal relationship. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Not to put a bunch of people in heaven, but to have a relationship with you. And if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, we cannot have that relationship. We cannot have that closeness. We cannot have that personalness. We've got to have Jesus, his blood, to bring us into that relationship. And that's what God wants more than anything. Romans 5, verse 8, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. You see how important that is? Our friendship. When was this friendship destroyed? I just read it to you out of Genesis. That's when the friendship was destroyed. And God says, but I want you and I want your relationship. And the only way that he can do that is through the blood of the holiness of Jesus Christ that is sacrificed for our sins. So he can pull us back into relationship. He's got to have that for us. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't that a great sentence? Made you friends of God? Not just servants. I want to be a servant of the Lord. There's a lot of scripture about that. There's scripture that Paul talks about being a slave to God. I'll be a slave to God. I will. But the cool thing is, is while I'm trying to be a servant and a slave, he's calling me friend. He wants closeness with me. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation from everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Isn't this great? So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I have the opportunity. God's not going to make you. It doesn't just happen. You have to choose. Do I choose God? Do I choose His Word? Do I choose His truth? Do I choose His Spirit? Do I choose His blood? Do I choose His forgiveness? Here, here's the thing that we, I know we know this in the back of our head, but we have to be reminded regularly. You don't get to make the rules. As human beings, God does not give us that, that liberty. You don't get to, now you can make whatever rule you want. You can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You, anything you want to do, you can do. But here's the reality. You're not making the rules. So when you're doing those things, the rules are not changing. God's holiness is still ruling. So you can do whatever you want. God says, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. If you want to be with me, you got to do this. People ask me all the time, what do you think about this? Is this a sin or is this not a sin? I always tell them, it doesn't matter what I think. I'll take you to, the, to the God's word and show you what God says. 
Because that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what I think is right or wrong. It matters what God says what's right or wrong. So how do we do this? How do you get saved? I was thinking about this. Um, when you're young and you're dating, you talk about marriage, right? Even if you're not going to get married to each other, you still talk about marriage. Young, young and in love, that's what you do. You know, you, you did it too. So here's the thing. If you're just talking about marriage and the guy says to the girl, you know, I guess someday like we'll get married. And he sees that as, well, it's a done deal now. What is she going to say? You've got to propose to me. Right? You don't, we're not just going to get married. You've got to propose to me. And it's always been a big deal. But nowadays, it's even got crazy off the wall. The girl plans most of it. Have you guys noticed this? This is a trending thing. She, t- she, she picks out the ring. And I didn't even pick out the ring. The girl didn't pick the ring. I picked the ring. Anybody, anybody understand what I'm talking about? Some of you younger guys are like, what if she doesn't like it? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I picked the ring. I gave it to her. She's still wearing it. I got a good deal, too. I was only 20 years old. you got to give me a little bit of a break. I, I sold my bass guitar to buy her wedding ring. Didn't I? I think I did. Pretty sure. I think I did. I'm pretty sure I did. All right, so she says, she says, you got to propose to me. It doesn't just happen. And it's not just, hey, you want to get married. It's got to be an event, doesn't it? Ladies, that's going to be an event. He needs to do what? He needs to get down on one knee. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You don't just say, hey, I guess we're getting married, girl, whatever, shoot. It doesn't work that way. So here's the thing. This is, this is the reality of salvation. I always give us an opportunity to repeat a prayer when, when uh, we're giving our heart to the Lord, right? You realize that that's something I created? That's not in Scripture. There's not a sinner's prayer. This is what Scripture says. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you embarrassed that you're serving Jesus? And this is serious. I'm serious about this. Are you embarrassed to tell somebody you're a Christian? Because if so, you need to read this scripture again. Because this is the definition of being saved. Not praying a prayer in a church, shaking a pastor's hand. This is the definition. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and I don't think this is just a one-time thing, but I do believe there's the first moment. Openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is believing in your heart. This isn't cognitive belief like we have created in Western society. This didn't exist in Eastern society at this time. Believing means you followed through. Your life looked like it. John 3.16, whoever believes will be saved. Whoever believes, that's in your heart. That's not just, I've made a cognitive decision that there's a God. Jewish person wouldn't have understood that at this time. It, it wasn't cultural for them. They would have said, well, you don't believe if you're not doing it. Oh, yeah, I believe. I know God's real. But you don't believe if you're not doing it. That's the reality of this. That you openly confess that you believe. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. I really don't understand the idea that we somehow try to hide this. It would be the same thing as if you got engaged and you never told anybody. Now here's a boy or girl, it doesn't matter. Would you be okay with that? You say, hey, did you tell your friends yet? No, I don't really want to go there. It's not me, it's you. Right? Can we open to declare Jesus your Lord? Why don't you stand with me? Now guys, at the end of the day, we know this. At the end of the day, this is about you loving Jesus. This is not about a church service. This is not about did you do all the things or you going by all the rules. This is about loving Jesus' relationship. You'll do the stuff you need to if you love him. If you love him. And this is where, this is where we're going to go with this, okay? Now, I'm not going to have you repeat a prayer. That's normally what I do. But I, I really want you just to think about these things. Declaring that Jesus is Lord. Believing in your heart what he has said. Declaring that he's Lord. Believing in your heart. Knowing that he's God wanting this relationship with him. So I'm going to pray for me. And I want you to pray for you. But I, I definitely want you to think if, if some of you say, well, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't think Jesus is going to be upset if you say, hey, Jesus, I just want to tell you again, I really love you. I don't think he's going to be upset. If this is the first time you've done this, or maybe you know you're not serving the Lord, be serious about this. Talk to him. Tell him. You need him to be in charge of you. You need a God in charge. Let him know that. Tell him that. It's important. All right, let's pray. God, I come before you as yours. Jesus, I'm yours. I want to be everything you want me to be. Jesus, I love you with everything in me. I declare... To myself, I declare to the spiritual realm and I declare to every person in this room, Jesus, you are my God. There is nobody above you. There is no God above you. You are my everything. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus just to cover me with that blood and pull me into relationship with you. Restore that relationship. God, I don't... I don't want to do anything outside of your word, outside of your truth. I don't want to play around with sin. I don't want to do anything that's not pleasing to you. And I pray for this whole room that nobody would leave here without knowing that they know that they know that you're their God, that they have a relationship with you. Lord, help us not to fight your word. Help us not to fight your spirit. Help us not to fight your truth. Jesus, just explode in our hearts with your amazingness and with your love. Help us to know you. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray for the guy I golfed with. He needs you and he needs the people around him knowing you.
So before noon tomorrow, sometime this week, God's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. It's the greatest thing you could ever tell them. Do the best you can, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So um, shake somebody's hand, hug their neck if you're so inclined. And uh, we will not have service Wednesday night. I mean, we will, but it's different. People that know need to be here know. So we will see you next week and have a great rest of your day. You are